Oh, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Community Life Church. We're excited that you're joining us here in the family room and joining us online. Welcome. My name is Clint. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm so thankful that you would come out, uh, join with us, get some coffee, spend some time in worship with us today, and make room in your schedule. We know there's a billion things that y'all could be doing, uh, from running to the Hobby Lobby to fighting the, the crowds at the mall and all spots in between, but thank y'all for being here today. As we prepare for worship, would y'all stand with me as we uh, prepare and pray the Lord's Prayer together? Let's pray, y'all. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, we love you. We look to you today. God, with all the, the things, the baggage, the, the struggles we walked in here with, we look to you for, uh, for hope, for peace, for joy, for love. God, and in this season, in this season of Advent, we're preparing for the birth of your son, God, we just want to recognize that you are active and alive in this world right now. God, help us just to focus our minds and our hearts, our attention and our affection on who you are and how you're moving in this world. And help us just to make room over these next few minutes to be able to connect with you in real ways. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.
shout a praise to the Lord this morning, and we are so glad that you guys are here. We're going to continue on in worship to our King. One voice, one heart, we worship.
starry night A king is born in Bethlehem Our journey long we seek the light That leads to the hallowed manger ground What fear we felt in the silent age Four hundred years can he be found But broken by a baby's cry Rejoice in the hallowed manger on your son coming to be with us, our Emmanuel, our God with us. Father, we thank you for that miracle. God, more importantly, we thank you for the purpose with which your son came to be with us, this purpose to, to come and to, uh, to live the sinless lives that he could be the sacrifice for our sins and restore that right relationship with you between us. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for for what an amazing statement it is that we can say that you gave your son for us so that we could be with you, God, and that we could boldly approach you with no fear and no anxiety, but rather with, with boldness and humility, God. We, we thank you for that. 
pray that as we move throughout this season that we would um, not get wrapped up in, in all the distractions that are, uh, that are around us, God, but rather we would focus on making room to, to sit and, and reflect on, on who you are, to reflect on not just the, the birth, but the, the cross and the resurrection as well, God, that, that our hope is alive in you. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Before you guys are seated, if you'll turn around, greet the people around you, shake a hand, learn a name. If you're with us online, we're so glad you're here. We'll be back with you shortly. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this, um, it's starting to be beautiful Sunday morning. Um, my name is Scott Verano and I'm the lead pastor here at the church and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online. Um, it was an interesting start to the morning this morning, amen, um, with that storm blowing through. So Tammy got home from her uh, mission trip from Nicaragua last night about 12.30 and so Micah and Tammy started sharing stories and they ran out of words about two. And then, um, so we fell asleep, and at about four, I woke up with a dog on my chest letting me know that it was raining outside. Anybody else experience that? Anybody else's fur babies are weathermen, and um, they're just going to tell you over and over again, I, I don't know why that is, that we subject ourselves to that, but okay, there you go. That's a squirrel, and we're going to leave that behind. Thank you for being here today. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that you discover that source of life, allow it to transform who you are, and then you'll take that and you'll use it to connect others uh, to Jesus. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this journey, uh, we would love to have that opportunity. So, so thank you for being here. Uh, a couple quick announcements, and then we're gonna, um, we're gonna jump into the message. So uh, it's hard to believe that it's not gonna be too long from now, but Christmas Eve is gonna be here, and you're gonna hear uh, we're gonna make the announcement a thousand times and you're not gonna listen to it until you need to find it online and you'll probably be doing this that day. But let me tell you about the Christmas Eve services and how they come about. It always makes me laugh every year when we say, so what are we gonna do for Christmas Eve services? And every church did this because Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. I don't know, what do you wanna do? What do you think? We have no idea how to plan, so we're just gonna throw something at the wall and see how it works. So we're gonna do two services in the morning and two in the afternoon and they're all gonna be the same minus one difference. So the two morning services will have um, childcare for babies, infants, up to pre-K. So up through pre-K. So if you have littles and you wanna come to a candlelight service and make sure that they're not lighting the church on fire, you can do it that way. Or come to the afternoon services. And here are the service times. 10 and 11.30, those are gonna be the two morning services. And then we'll have two more services, one at 3.30 and one at five o'clock. They will all be candlelight services, the same message, same worship. So, you know, some of you, you're like extra, you like extra Jesus dollars. You don't have to come to a morning and an afternoon. Um, they're all gonna be the same. So come on out and uh, we're gonna have fun. I'm sure it's gonna be busy and crazy and all of those amazing things um, that it can be. Uh, if you, if, and if you forgot all of that, and it comes down to the 24th and you still don't know the QR code that's on the left, you can find or go to the website and, and you'll, you'll have all those times for you. Uh, one of the things I love to do this time of year is in front of me on these tables, you guys are so awesome. 
Um, you have provided Christmas for 130 families, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. So these have been coming in throughout the day, and in, not too long from now, we're going to finish wrapping all of them. We're going to send them all out. And, you know, for me, it's not so much about the gift. It's about the person that's receiving this gift. For some of them, this is their Christmas, that they're not going to get anything else. So thank you for doing what you do. Um, you are giving a person an opportunity to experience something so powerful that somebody outside of their world has thought about them and provided for them. And whether they're a child or whether they're a senior, I know that that is just going to minister to them in a powerful way. So I like to always take just a moment and say a prayer over these, these gifts. It's not a, nothing supernatural about the gifts. It's what they represent. So if you don't mind, let's, let's just say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for the opportunities where we can express our love for you by, by reaching out beyond ourselves. And that's what these gifts represent. Lord, they represent um, your heart. Um, the, one of the markers, God, of you is that um, you so love the world that you gave. And whenever we step into these moments, we put that gospel flesh onto our bodies and we step into that very act of giving. And so I pray for those families. You know them. Um, we may not know them particularly, their name or where they're at or how they find themselves and, and, and wherever they are, but Lord, they will receive a gift that comes literally from your heart. And so bless them, keep them, allow them to experience your grace and your mercy in this Christmas season. And, and my prayer is always that one or more of them would open up their heart and choose to believe in you because somebody cared for them when no one else was. We love you, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for that. Okay, so today um, we are going to continue on in our Christmas series called Make Room. Now, last week I read for you uh, one of the most significant verses in the Bible, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 7. And Luke writes this. He writes, when it was time for the child to be born, Mary took the child, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and placed him in a manger. Now, we read that and we think manger. Nice, com well, it's not comfortable, but a nice shed, manger, if you were in that time and you read manger, you're like, Jesus was placed in a food trough, right? Like it, it shocks your brain. And, and then you say, why is this? You read on the rest of the scripture and it says, because there was no room for him in the inn. There was no room for him in the inn. And, and I got to tell you for all time and all history, that might've been the biggest miss ever because Jesus, um, the, the child, the baby that was about to be born would become the most influential human to ever walk this planet in all of history. And that person wouldn't make room or did now. They, they may not have ever known and had no insight, but if you're a hotel owner, that was the biggest miss. Can we all agree to that? So in this series, what we're asking you to consider is to make room for Jesus. Don't let this season just run you over. And, and here's, here's some math that you probably don't want to face. 14 days is what you have. In 14 days, we're going to be in this space, passing candles, lighting things on fire, doing all of those singing Silent Night. It'll be a beautiful, wonderful time to gather, but it's only 14 days away. And if you are not intentional about making space, you will miss the opportunity to experience maybe what God wants to do in your life. But, but here's what I know. When you are intentional about making space for something, that means you have an expectation that that space is going to be filled with something. And my belief is that if you make room for God, that God will fill that space in your life. And many of you, you need hope, you need discernment, you need direction. And if you make room, I believe that God will meet you right where you're at. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at uh, the stories in our biblical, uh, our Christmas story. 
in unpacking the context around those stories, but then asking, um, how did that person or those people make room for Jesus? What does that mean for us? And how can we consider doing it in our own lives? Week one, we looked at Joseph. So Joseph, if you just think of his story off the top, he was a, a guy that was pledged to be married. So enter into his mind all the things that go along with being excited about being married, a life together in front of him that he was looking forward to. And then he received the news from Mary that she was pregnant. And oh, by the way, it's from the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you do with that as Joseph in your mind. You're looking at something that has happened to you that you didn't ask for. So Joseph was moving forward as a righteous man and he was gonna go ahead and call off the marriage until he had this dream. And in the dream, the angel of the Lord told him, no, this is what I'm doing. And so what we see Joseph do is so profound. He made room in his life to experience what God was going to do. But that meant him facing ridicule, him facing the possibility of being ostracized by his family, um, all of those different decisions that he had to do to make room for Jesus. And so our takeaway from that is whenever you face adversity, sometimes even adversity that you didn't bring upon yourself, what happens when you make room for Jesus? Well, what happened to Joseph? He was able to experience Emmanuel, God with us. That song is so beautiful, but that's what it means. He made room for Jesus and he had the opportunity to experience the incarnation of God walking this earth. And so that's a powerful part of the story. And I believe that God does that very same thing for us. Well, today, um, we're going to continue on in the series, and we're going to look at this ministry couple in the Bible called Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, one of the things that you may know about the Christmas story is while all of this was unfolding, the angels were very, very busy. They were showing up all over the place, making announcements. They were in dreams. They were showing up in the natural. They were opening up the heavens and singing, but the angels were very, very busy. And most of us know the story of of Gabriel showing up to Mary and telling her what God's plan would be. Not all of us know that six months prior to that, Gabriel shows up to Zechariah and lets him know that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to be part of this plan as well and that those two are going to have a baby and they're gonna name him John. John, if you don't know in scripture, is also the same John that ultimately will baptize Jesus, John the Baptist. He wasn't Baptist. He was John the baptizer. He just baptized a bunch of people. You, you don't know this, but John and Jesus were cousins. And from the very beginning of Luke, you find that their stories are intertwined together. The way the angels show up, the way that one is going to pave the way for the other. And what I would say to you is, as we're talking about making room for God, that the literal purpose of John's life was to make room for Jesus. So we're gonna talk about the people who literally made room for the one who would make room for Jesus. Is your mind below trying to do that God math? But anyways, that's who we're gonna talk about, um, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth. And we're gonna be reading in Luke chapter one. So if you would like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if not, we will have the, the scripture will be on the, um, on the screen behind us. But I want you to consider how did these two make room for Jesus in their lives? And how, how does that relate to us? So I will read, and we're gonna, we're gonna have fun learning some of this story. So Luke chapter one, verse five. It says, in those days, King Herod of Judea, in, in, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. Um, uh, this name means uh, the Lord is my, my father. So Abba, think Abba, Abi. Jah, Yahweh, so the Lord is my father. So you see these two words put together, the family group of priests, Abijah, so that's the group that Zechariah belongs to. His wife 
was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So we meet this ministry couple right off the top and you know from these first few scriptures that Luke is letting you know that these aren't just your average everyday slouches. These guys have a heritage and a lineage that connects them all the way back to the bigs. And so who we're looking at is very prominent and very important. Verse six, both of them were righteous before the Lord, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. You're in a conversation with somebody and they're telling you about another person and it's just praise and praise and praise. They do this, they're so awesome. And you just wish that's where they would stop. And then at some point they go, but this is where Luke is telling us the story. He's going to let us know that there's a problem. They're righteous people. They've got a great lineage, but there's more to the story that you need to know about. There's an issue in their lives, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. So if we just go back and we look at this set of scripture, I want to give you the backstory of what it meant to be a priest during this time. So if you go back in and, and the Bible gives us some of the insight, but really history during that time tells us more so that you can fill in the gaps. During the time of Zechariah, there were roughly 18,000 priests. You didn't decide to go into ministry. It was part of your heritage. You were born into it. So if you were born and your father was a priest, guess what you get to be? You get to be a priest. That's just how that works. So 18,000 priests, and they divided that 18,000 up into 24 family groups. And those 24 family groups were responsible for taking care of the temple. So they all had a responsibility and a job. And what, the way that they divided up the work schedule was every one of these families would work for one entire week twice a year. So, so that's two weeks out of the year that your group would work. And they would get you together and they would draw lots to determine what responsibility that you would have. And in a moment, you're gonna see that his lot, Zachariah's lot was drawn and he was chosen to go um, burn incense inside the temple. Now in this particular role inside the temple, there were five people that were chosen. Three would burn incense in different parts of the temple. Two would be responsible for filling the oil in the lampstand and taking care of the showbread that was there inside of the temple. Now you may say, did he go into the Holy of Holies? Nope, that was only one time of year and that was the high priest. But what Zechariah was able to experience was as close as you could possibly get without being that high priest. So you're talking about a story in a, in a, in a position where if his number was drawn, this is one of the highest honors that anyone could ever receive in their life. So that's the setup of what it meant to be a priest. But here in the scripture, you find out that they have this amazing lineage, but there's a problem in their life. And the problem is that they don't have children. Now we think about that and we understand medically why that might happen. During their time in culture, so that you realize this whenever you read scripture, if somebody did not have children, if their family didn't have children, they didn't think there's something medically wrong with them. Their assumption was that God did not bless that person or God did not show that person favor. So you could be the most righteous person on the planet, but if you were unable to have children, society thought that you were not blessed by God. So here we have the best of the best that society always looked out of the corner of their mouth or they were talking in groups behind them and there was just something wrong with them and God must not think highly of them. So imagine having to carry that in your life. And then the last part, and both were, quote, getting on in years. Now, I like the fact that Luke tells us this, but he doesn't give us information as to what that age would be. Biblical scholars, they love to fill the gaps and, and there could be any sort of age. Here's what I'll tell you it means. 
It means an age past what society thinks is normal for bearing children, okay? So you guys are out there. If you think you're past those days, say amen. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, you're, you're right there in line with Elizabeth. That's where Elizabeth and Zechariah would have been. So let's read on. Verse 8. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, which we just described, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people were, outside, were praying outside. Now the way this would work is that nine in the morning and three in the afternoon, people would gather in the temple courts and they would pray. And the priests would go do their work. They would burn incense, which represented prayers going up to heaven. And then when the priests were done, they would come back out and they would pray a blessing over all the people and people would go back about their day. Verse 11. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. Now I read this and I thought it was so interesting how in life, God sometimes shocks us even though he's right where he should be. He's burning incense at the altar of incense. Don't you think that's probably where you should encounter God? So he's having the highest um, honor in his life. He's in there burning incense and he looks over and there's an angel and he's like, what are you doing here? And the angel's like, I'm supposed to be here. What did you think, right? Like, this is what we do. This is where I'm at. Now, I'd say that. I think that's interesting. I wish that as believers, we had more expectation to see God rather than being shocked when God shows up. Amen. Like, I wish we could shape our heart in a way where, where we went around every corner believing that God is going to show up in this instance or this, rather than, than go, God's here? I think it would be a way better, that, that's, a, that's a one-off. I don't know. That's a preacher thought. So, he's shocked. He sees this angel. He's terrified. Verse 13, we're going to get to hear from the angel. The angel makes this big proclamation. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I imagine Zechariah's like, uh-oh, what prayer are we talking about? Is it that new car? Right, like, what's the prayer, baby? Bring it on, I wanna hear it. God heard my prayer. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. And he's like, oh, that prayer. So then he starts to pay attention. Now, Gabriel does something here that's different than most of the times you hear. You remember when, when the angel of the Lord shows up to Abraham? He says, I want you to go to a place that I will show you. He gives him barely any details at all. In this instance, Gabriel's given him all of the story, every single piece of it. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. At this point, he's like, I better write this down. If you're a guy, you better write it down. I better write it down. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the, that's right. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before them to turn the hearts of parents to their children and to the disobedient and, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so what Gabriel does is he tells Zechariah that your son's responsibility, what he's going to accomplish is he's going to pave the way for the one that's coming after him. He's going to be the front runner like Elijah to the Messiah. And so what's going to happen in your life is absolutely incredible. Get ready, Zechariah. This is going to be amazing. Think about the angel. The angel who is a ministering servant sent to serve those or to inherit salvation. That's in Hebrews. He is announcing the arrival or the preparation of the arrival for Jesus. This would have been a huge announcement for Gabriel. He would have been excited about what God was going to do. 
And so he makes this declaration to Zechariah, and I guarantee you, Zechariah said, oh, that is so awesome. Be it unto me as you have spoken. That's Mary, right? Mary says that. I'm gonna tell you, Zechariah does not respond that way. Zechariah responds a little bit differently. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? Now let's think about that sentence for just a moment. He's literally asking an angel for a sign. How will I know? What sign will you give me? And you can imagine Gabriel probably went like this. Like Gabriel's just wondering, he says, how will I know that this is so? And here we go. For I am an old man and my wife is, quote, getting on in years. You imagine Gabriel's like, this guy needs some help. <laughs> and trying to process where, where uh, Zachariah's mind is. And so Zachariah speaks back and it comes from a place of doubt. Why do we know that? Because of what Zachariah is about, I mean, what Gabriel's about to say next. Verse 19, the angel replied, I am Gabriel. So he goes back to the very beginning. He says, listen, in case you don't know who I am, I am Gabriel. Zachariah as a priest, he would have remembered from the scripture that he read that Gabriel shows up in multiple books in the Old Testament he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, Zechariah, in case you need to know that. And I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, you ever heard of but now? But now, because you did not believe my words, which by the way, will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Can we all agree that was probably best for Zechariah? Like just knowing this is the angels, like this is, gonna, this is gonna be better for you, trust me, and go along with this. He says, you're not gonna be able to speak and God is gonna do what God's gonna do. So God shuts his mouth. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah. So they're outside waiting for the blessing so they can go on about their day and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And I, and I forgot to add this. If you were chosen to burn incense inside the temple, um, you only did that once in your life. So he received this high honor and that would have been the last time he would have still served as a priest, but never had the honor to go back in and serve in the temple. And so he comes out, is unable to speak. Something profound had happened and he um, now returns home. Now, verse 24, we start to get the image of what's going on with Elizabeth. It says, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she remained in seclusion. Scripture doesn't tell us why for five months she goes into seclusion. So what do biblical scholars do when Scripture doesn't tell you something? We make it up, right? Biblical scholars look at it, and we try to come up with a plausible reason. Why would Elizabeth set herself aside for five months? And, and this kind of makes sense. There's all sorts of reasons. But could you imagine if you spent your whole life with the heartache and the heartbreak of never being able to produce a child in a society where that would have meant that you were blessed by God? And maybe, maybe she experienced miscarriage, maybe they lost children, whatever that, whatever that looked like, at this age in life, she wasn't willing to or ready to possibly go out into public for five months. And for me, what she did during that time is she allowed that time to prepare her for what God was going to do. Because after five months is when people wouldn't have been able to see and they would have been able to stand alongside her and rejoice with her. And so maybe this is just Scott talking. This is what you might read. We, we don't know. 
Maybe it was her allowing that work to happen, nervous about going out, but making sure that what was happening was truly unfolding in her life. Verse 25, uh, she said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace that I endured among my people. And so for her, this was vindication of all of the pain and the heartache that she experienced. Now, verses 26 all the way down through 38, that's Gabriel six months later going and visiting Mary and telling her about the work that was gonna happen in her life, that she was gonna, she was gonna conceive and, and, and it was going to be the son of God. But then he says, and if you want a sign, I'm gonna tell you about Elizabeth, who in her old age is now, um, is now pregnant. And so what happens in the, after the end of the story is, is, a, is Mary packs up and she heads on down to go see Elizabeth. So here are the first two verses of this next section, 39 and 40. It says, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us right here, but we know from history that the town that Elizabeth and Zechariah were from is a place called Ein Karim, or Ein Karim, and it's, on the, it's a suburb on the northwest side of Jerusalem, and I have pictures of it. Would you like to see pictures? Um, it's such a cool place uh, for you to be able to see, and I've been there, and I'll tell you a story in a moment, but here's a, a modern day, not that we found pictures from antiquity, but a modern day picture of, of Ein Karim, these are the walls of Jerusalem, so it's not oriented north and south, but here's Jerusalem. And um, if you were to come into this town, you would come down this hill right here, and it's in this beautiful bowl. Take the tour bus down, and the bus would park right here across from this tower. This is a place that sits over the top of what's known as Mary's Spring. And um, they built this fountain. It's a beautiful place. You'll get to see a picture of that in a moment. But um, one of the things that we find out from antiquity is that Elizabeth and Zechariah were believed to be owners of their own vineyard that they were very successful, even though they didn't have children to help in the vineyard, that they had their own vineyard. And so when you go into the city, it's, it's unmistakable to see that here is a vineyard. There's vineyards all down this hillside on this side. There's some places that are over here um, where it's still a prominent place where they grow grapes and they produce wine. And so when you're in that community, you feel like you're a part of the story. Now I'll go on to the next picture. So you pull the bus up and you look outside the bus window and you see this kind of interesting spot. Um, this is where they have routed Mary Spring down through this little culvert. It actually runs through this area and goes back out and it dumps back into the spring. And they've created these little fountains where the water spills out into this waterway. And you guys have heard me share this story with you over the years. So if you were here last year and we talked about it, this is true. So um, we're on a trip in Israel. The bus pulls up and there's the, there's the little fountain there on the side. And the tour guide, as they always do, they get up on the front and they say, let me tell you about this place. And they start sharing the story. And... Um, as they get to the story, she, somebody says, what's, what's the fountain over here? And they say, oh, this is Mary's Spring. And a little known fact that, that maybe you want to know is that people from all over the world will travel to this location, people that are struggling with infertility, they'll travel to this location and they will wash their hands in the water and then they go home and we are receiving pictures all the time of people that have now conceived and have these, these beautiful babies. And so imagine I'm sitting there as pastor, I'm on the bus. I turn around and I start looking at the people on the bus and I realize that I'm, I'm probably the youngest in there by a few years, but for many, by many, many years. And I said, okay, guys, when we get out of the bus, no one's touching the water because I do not want to have to explain to your spouse or whatever what happened when we got here. And then I turned to Tammy and I said, and you're not getting off the bus. <laughs> you're staying right here on this bus. 
Uh, so in, in my mind, I have such a visual of this place because it's so beautiful. Um, think the Mediterranean, the doors in the Mediterranean painted with the beautiful cobalt blues and turquoise and peaches. And, and, and so down the hall or down the, down the streets of this, this community have all of these painted doors and bougainvillea climbing up the side of the walls. And when we went there in, in December, the, the bougainvilleas were shedding their leaves. And so as the wind was blowing up and down the street, you have these beautiful colors just everywhere. And you could feel the presence of God in such an amazing way. Um, we, we have a, a, a phrase, and, and don't get too spiritually deep into this, but we have a phrase where we, we talk about places where it feels like heaven is a little bit more thin, that the gap between the natural and the supernatural is really thin and you can almost reach out and touch God. And for me, the labyrinth represents that for so many families. This area was one of those where you could experience God and be connected uh, for a myriad of reasons, but it just, just was powerful. Um, so I, I wanted you just to see and be brought into that journey so you could understand because the scripture we're about to read next is so insightful to Elizabeth and how she makes a decision to live her life. So for just a moment, Think of Zechariah and Elizabeth, their prominence. And knocking on the door comes Mary, an unwed, pregnant young lady, which would have been scandalous during this time. And if you just had to predict what might happen next, typically a religious family would push her aside and there would be something different that was done in that situation. And so we find ourselves, Luke presenting us with a story of how Elizabeth responds in this moment and makes room for Mary. So at the end of verse 40, 40 Mary greets, uh, greets Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now for all of my biblical scholars out there, that verse will cause you to have some heartache because we are 30-something years before the day of Pentecost. And here we have this promise and this blessing where Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit before that was a thing that we could understand theologically. Well, what do we call that? We call that grace, that God is doing something supernaturally and we just have to trust it and know that God is doing what God can only do. And she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, and exclaimed it with a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Please hear me. She shows such extreme hospitality and blessing to Mary, a hospitality and a blessing that Mary will not receive everywhere she goes. Elizabeth shows her this powerful love and grace. She makes room for Mary. Verse 45, I know, verse 44. As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. It's powerful, it's amazing. That section of scripture should be stood aside on its own so that you can see maybe how God wants us to entertain, to love, and to care for people in this world, especially when they find themselves in moments like this. Verses 46 down through 56, that's the Magnificat. Last year in our series, we talked about the canticles and how Luke tells the, the birth story by sharing these stories. Mary breaks out in song, and in her song, she prophesies, over, she, she prophesies what the life of Jesus will be like. And Luke uses that song as the anchor of his gospel to go back and tell the story. So as a result of Elizabeth and her grace that she shows to Mary, we have this outpouring of the Spirit of God in such a powerful way. But I wanna pick up for you 
And in verse 56, Mary goes back after three months. So when it's about time for Elizabeth to give birth, Mary goes back to, to be with Joseph. And that rest of that story, if you're trying to keep score, the rest of that story unfolds. But verse 57 down through um, 66. I want to read this because you can't make it up. Um, one of the things that Addie said in, in our worship planning is, there is never a time in your life where people have more advice to give you than when you're pregnant. Unsolicited advice for days. Women, is that true? They will tell you what to eat, how to eat it, when to eat it, where to eat it, what to eat. I mean, every single thing that they posit, how, how to sleep, how to lay, whatever, all of these different things, they will tell you, they'll rub your belly, you'll slap them. I mean, whatever, that's just... It's just what happens. So I want you to hear this because the same thing we're dealing with today or you're dealing with today is the same thing they were dealing with back then. Now, I need to, I need to set this up. Luke writes this and he uses the phrase they, and you're led to believe kind of in the beginning that they includes Elizabeth and Zachariah. It does not. They are family and friends. Listen to how helpful their family and friends are. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother, so his mother is not a part of the they, his mother said, no. Could you imagine a group of people that decided they knew the name of your child better than you did? Imagine rolling the dice like that. I'm just gonna let the church name this baby. Oh, no, no, don't ever do that, right? Like, and that could be a, a huge problem. And so Elizabeth's like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. God has given us very specific instructions. We've made it through to this point. Not a chance. We're gonna do exactly what God had told us to. No, his name is to be called John. Now, I love the response of the people. They hear Elizabeth. She tells them what the name is, and they think, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let's ask the man. How many of you know that's a mistake, right? Like, like Zachariah's going, <laughs> you guys are more brave than I am. So they said to her, none of your relatives has this name. Then they began motioning to his father to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue freed and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all their neighbors and all, the things, um, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard them uh, pondered, and, pondered them and said, what then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. So we already see the beginning of the good news being shared. Just at this miracle and, and what happens in the naming of the child, the relatives, the people around recognize that God is doing something in the life of this child. And so they start to talk about the good news. It's this wave of momentum that starts to carry and starts to, start to create waves. Verse 67 down through 79. This is Zachariah's song. So at the birth of his child, he breaks into song. And part of the song is a prophecy about what his son is going to accomplish, but it's also a prophecy about Jesus. Now, I want to lift it up to you because at the end of the song, you get this bit of information in verse 80 that I think helps us with context. It says, the child grew, this is talking about John, known as John the Baptist. The child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, you might read through that and think, okay, he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. That's a key phrase. Um, Elizabeth and Zechariah did not live in the wilderness. 
They lived in a beautiful community with a vineyard, and that's where John would have been raised. So when you see this note, this is Luke letting you know that John was raised in a different place. Now, you may say, why? We're going to make it up, okay? Because that's what we do. Um, more than likely, his parents were of an age that they may not have survived very long after his birth. So why, why would I say that? Because them making room for John meant that they maybe did that even though they knew that they wouldn't ultimately see the promise. And so that tells you something about Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they were still willing to make room, even though maybe ultimately they wouldn't or didn't see the promise fulfilled. Now, why do I talk to you about the wilderness? You're always trying to make connection to the Bible. How does so-and-so get to so-and-so get to a different place? Well, John, um, the baptizer, uh, is different than his father. So John would have been born into the priesthood, but he doesn't follow in his father's footsteps in the way that you think he would, raised to serve inside of the temple. Well, his, the prophecy that was spoken over him is that he would literally actually serve as a priest for the Messiah that was coming, but he's raised out in the wilderness. What could this possibly mean? When you go back through genealogy and the records that are kept, there are family members in their lineage that were a part of a community that was called the Essenes. Now, some people say, how do you know that? That was kind of a warring community. The, the people that were known as the Essenes had a little bit of a different religious belief. They lived in the wilderness, the Judean wilderness, out near the Dead Sea. And they um, were, were combative people. They were ready for God to come back. And so they were doing the things that they had to to prepare for that. One of the markers of their community is that they copied Scripture. So Old Testament, they would copy it. You heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? On the edge of one of these communities, the community of Qumran, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is where we get copies of our Old Testament scripture sealed in containers that were there. It was left there for us by the Essene community. But one of the markers of this community that would connect most directly to John is that they believed in ritual baptism, that in their house, in their community, all over, they had these things called mikvah, which are dipping ponds that when it would rain, it would collect the water and they would ritually cleanse themselves before they went to dinner, ritually cleanse themselves before they gathered for a ceremony. And so it makes sense when you think about it, how his theology was formed based on his father's understanding of scripture, based on the beliefs of the Essenes. And you get together and you find John the Baptist being the fiery person that was calling people for repentance. And the sign was baptism, how I brought it all together. Why do I tell you all that? Because I love scripture. And I love to see how it all comes together. And I pray that there's a day when we can stand on the side of the Dead Sea and you can see this community where John the Baptist most likely was doing all that baptism. Okay, so, um, so in this series, we are asking ourselves, how did our biblical family make room for Jesus? And so last week, just a quick reminder, we talked about Joseph faced adversity that wasn't of his own doing. He chose to make room, and in that room and in that space, in that expectation, he experienced Emmanuel, God with us. And so in our adversity, choose to make room for God, and I promise you that God will fill that space. Today, we see Elizabeth and Zechariah make room for Jesus by making room for others. We see Elizabeth and Zechariah make room for Jesus by making room for others, and they do this in two ways. They do this by opening up their hearts for John late in life, past the time that you would think that they would have to do this. They make room for John, and then they make room for Mary in what would have been a scandalous position, in a spot, a tough spot. They also make room for Mary. So let's unpack this a little bit, this understanding of them making room for John. Imagine, if you will, 
that you go home today, you have a wonderful day, you go to sleep, you wake up, and there's an angel standing in your bed, bedroom. And he says, hey, Scott, guess what? Tammy's going to be pregnant. I'm 52. Um, I would say, wait, what? Uh, it's going to be awesome. That baby's going to do this and this and this and this. And aren't you so excited? I would not probably handle that news as good as even Zachariah did, right? But imagine if that took place, if you had already kind of laid out what your retirement plan was going to look like, how was that going to unfold? You received that news. They're later on in life, but something happened in their lives. They were willing to make room for the plan, the greater story that God was speaking over them. And there are two ways, one for each of them, that I think they specifically made room. So if we're going to talk about just Zechariah, one of the things that he does, whether it's by decision or by the Spirit of God, his mouth is shut. He is no longer able to speak. Please hear me say this. Sometimes the most limiting factor in our spiritual life is our mouth. In Proverbs 18, 21, Solomon writes this. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Sometimes the most limiting factor in our spiritual life is our mouth, the things that we say, speaking death over things instead of speaking life. Now, please hear me. What he had to say was probably rooted in the hurt and the pain that they walked through. So that doesn't mean that there's not truth in the things that you say, but sometimes we need to be quiet and use our other senses to see what God is doing because God may want to completely reverse the things that you've walked through and he may have a blessing for you that you're talking yourself out of. And so maybe one of the ways that you can make room is to talk less and to listen more and see what God is saying to you and how God can position you. So one of the ways that you can make room for Jesus is by being quiet. I remember my daughter coming home one day from elementary school and saying, I heard so-and-so say the S word. And I said, the S word? And she said, yeah. I said, tell me what the S word is. And she said, shut up. I said, mm, okay. It's a bad word. We don't say that in church unless you're in the first service and then you heard it. Now I'm not saying it anymore. So maybe one of the ways that we can make room is to stop talking. The way that Elizabeth made room is that she drew away for five months. We talked about this a little bit, but we don't know what she was walking through. Probably the hurt and pain and, and the, the, the fear of how can I go tell people what God has spoken over us when I've experienced so much loss in my past. And, and so many of you families, you know, you've had to walk this road uh, and it comes with so much heartache and so much pain. And I imagine for five months that she had to lean into that and trust and believe and allow God to do a work inside of her heart. The scripture that jumped off the page to me was Romans 12, 1. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. They were past those years of birthing children or, or, or bringing children in this world. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be willing to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that Elizabeth took that time to allow God to actually transform her and to bring about this promise. They had to make room for John. Now, just so that you guys can all settle down, um, I'm not asking you guys to all go out and have babies. Okay, can we all take a deep breath? This is not that church. Um, it's all good. But what I will ask you to consider is even though you're moving towards retirement or even if you're in the middle throes of your working career or just starting out, what is it that God is asking you to make room for in your life? Is God asking you to birth something that maybe will open the door for other people to discover? Is God asking you to consider not what God can do for you, but what you can do to connect other people to God? Maybe it's not a child, but it could be a ministry. It could be a place to serve. It could be a way that you find your being in this world. Um, some of the things that, I, that I'm most dear and that I love, and I don't, this is not an exhaustive list, and so if I forget a name, um, please know that. I, I think of 
Celebrate Recovery, the ministry we have here at the church, that many folks that have walked through some very difficult times in life will go back into that ministry and work through the steps and they become a pillar of strength for people that are finding themselves in the middle of that to help them to break that cycle of addiction, whether it's anxiety or drugs or whatever it looks like. And so maybe God's calling you to do something like that. But, but think of ministries like Magdalene's, uh, ministries like Encircle Life that is such a, such a powerful ministry here in our church, um, Saltwater Cottage in Navarre, um, people that in their career or later on in their career decided to do something outside of the norm and they started a business or they started an outreach because they felt God had called them to do something. Is God calling you to do something like that? What is it that God's calling you to make room for in your life so that God can allow this kingdom to be known? So that's one thing I think I see them making room um, for in their lives. The second thing that I, that I see them doing is that they made room for Mary. I try to imagine in antiquity what it would have looked like for the priest's wife, the pastor's wife, if you will, to invite into her home during this time um, an unwed mother. Uh, it would have been scandalous. It would have been problematic. Elizabeth was already six months pregnant, would have been a challenge, but she doesn't do that. And here's, this was talked about in, in the men's group, and man, it, it, it wrecked me then, it wrecks me now, because it's such an incredible thought I've never thought about before. The hospitality and the grace that Elizabeth shows to Mary is the very same hospitality and grace that John the Baptist will show to Jesus when he baptizes him. So think about a, a mother imparting into her child that very gift of God and that grace that that child will then bear into the world. So when, to, to, to give you the story, when John baptizes Jesus, prior to that, he has people coming to see him and to hear his message from all over the known world, from Jerusalem, from the Sea of Galilee. They're hearing this message because they think of him as the fiery prophet that is now starting to speak. The heavens have been quiet forever and there's a prophet. So people are going out to see him. And when Jesus comes along and is baptized by John, John's word from that point forward is, I must become less so that Jesus can become more. And if you study things like this, then what happened is the wave of momentum that John started now carried on into the life of Jesus. And you got to see the call to repentance and then the one that would bring repentance come together. And it was a beautiful story of how those two things were intertwined. But it starts with Elizabeth making room for Mary. She could have done something altogether different, but she doesn't. And so here's the question. Who are those people in our lives that maybe society has thrown away? Those people in our lives that, that the church doesn't wanna be around because I don't know what? Who are those people in our lives that God is calling us to make room for? That we are called to reach out to, to love so that God can extend to them the grace and the mercy that he so desires to do. Because that is exactly what we see in this message with Elizabeth. And so the question stands, how can we make room for God by making room for others? And that's where we sit today when we think of these two. And I'll close the sermon out in this way, that all of this points to the idea of the incarnation and the understanding of the incarnation. That you may be here today and you've been a Christian and a believer for a long time. And, and so wrestling through the scripture, hearing it in a different way will cause you to wonder, how can I help other people? But you might be here and you might be thinking, I don't know anything about this faith journey. I want you to know that you can make room in your heart today for Jesus. And you can say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my savior. And I believe if you have that heart, you have that expectation, God will fill your heart today. Amen? Amen. It's just a simple prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for these moments where we wrestle with a story that, that's ancient. God, it's 2,000 years old. And yet there's 
still nuances to it that we're discovering to this very day. And it's still relevant to our lives. These were real people walking through very real difficult moments in their life and God, showed, God you showed up. And they had to make room for your plan. And, and Lord, I pray that we experience the very same thing, that in our heart of hearts, we're not surprised when you show up, but God, we're expecting you to show up. And with that expectation, God, we're making room for others to be able to experience that. So God, we do exactly that. We make room for you. And Lord, if there are people here today that maybe don't know you or people that are online, that in the, in the silence of their hearts, that they... It's not a perfect prayer. It's just the asking of your heart. God, be my Lord, be my savior. Allow me to experience the grace that Elizabeth showed to Mary, for the God that loved us and opened up his arms and made room for us. Allow us to experience that. God, you did that with your son, Jesus. We love you, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand and, um, and join us as we sing this final song. Allow God to speak to your heart. Addie's on this side. I'm over here on this side. If there's things that we can pray with you about, we would love to do that. Um, but I just, I hope that you'll allow God to speak to your heart this morning.
take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Thank you for joining us today. And we are just trusting and praying and believing that you have a wonderful week and that um, you're just going to see God every single place that you look. Um, hopefully he doesn't surprise you and scare you and fill you with fear. Like, well, you can, but tell me about it if that happens, right? It's amazing. Um, but, but thank you for being so amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we go from this place, uh, I pray that, that God, we get to experience your hand, your mercy, your grace in our lives in, in such a profound way. Uh, lead us and guide us until we find ourselves back gathered together. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week. Thank you so much.